God, do not let me stand in the way of your people hearing this great word this morning. Rather, send us the Holy Spirit now so that we might know you and your greatness. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. God's word for us this morning is Acts chapter 2. We'll look particularly at 32 to 41, Acts chapter 2, 32 to 41, and you can find it on page 884 in these white and blue Bibles there if you want to follow along. Again, if you need a Bible, please feel free to take one of these home with you this morning. Our second daughter, Lillian, was born in China. That produced a few hurdles. Everything really went pretty well, but there were a few small hurdles along the way. If your child is born in America, within hours of their birth, you sign the paperwork that says, hey, this is my kid, and then the government will issue this thing called a birth certificate. It will get mailed to you. I think it gets mailed to you. Remember, it get mailed to you? Yeah, I don't know. I think it gets mailed to you. Um, and then once you have that birth certificate, you have proof that your child is a legitimate citizen of the United States. Well, you can imagine if the child is born in China, then what kind of birth certificate do they get? Chinese. That produced a bit of a hiccup. You have to go to the embassy then, and you have to apply for this thing called a birth abroad, and you're supposed to submit your documentation, and they will issue a passport saying that this child is actually a citizen of the United States, even though they were born abroad. We had a small panic because the immigration officer didn't think we had enough proof to prove that Lillian was ours. Now, you can imagine, as young parents, we were like, what? (laughs) It's a solvable situation. You know, we had to just go back and get more evidence. But for a a short time there, my brain went through all the what-ifs pretty quickly. What if, right? What if they tell us that this child isn't ours and, and can't be an American citizen, Who do we go to? We're at the embassy now. Is there anybody higher that we could possibly uh, appeal to? And and what if if they don't let us ever leave with her? Right? What if if we could never get out? I mean, we, we thought that for a minute. I didn't stay there, thankfully, very long. What if? I thought about that event this week because one of my friends witnessed the citizenship ceremony of one of his people. This woman was born in, I believe it was Nicaragua, it was one of the, uh, maybe El Salvador, one of the South American countries, and she walked all the way there from here, uh, and she ended up at my friend's, through, through all kinds of crazy events, she ended up at my friend's church. Now, whatever you think about the immigration process, and this is not about immigration, right? Uh, she has done, man, that is, it's, it was so cool, he said, to see her there that day, to be with her, and to listen to her uh, claim United States uh, allegiance. It was just a wonderful process. And, and to see how far she was willing to go to get out of the evil and the danger and the trouble that she faced. Right? She, had, she had been in such a terrible position in life. And then to see how far she would go to save herself. He was thoroughly impressed by it, and he said it was an awesome time to be there. She did what the Apostle Peter speaks of today. She said, he said, save yourselves. 
save yourselves. Now, obviously, she did it just physically. She switched countries. Still, it had a, a profound impact on her life. She went from one nation to the other, saved herself. How much greater an impact would it have if you and I didn't just switch countries, but we saved ourselves into the great kingdom? That's what the Apostle Peter says to us today. Save yourself. Now, you might, you might think, I, I, could, I could get up here and I could tell you, here's all the reasons that you need to save yourself. Look at life around you. Look at the world around you. Look at yourself. You need to get saved. And, and I bet I could beat on that horse a little bit. And maybe some of you would even come, and I'd, I'd have a whole host of baptisms this week if I really pounded it at you. But what I'd like to do instead is I want to, I, I, think, I think a lot of us agree that, that we need to get saved. Uh, maybe we feel personally that we are saved, but we, we still, there's something going on in life. We need to feel saved. And I want to show you the two alternative options to Christian salvation and, and then show you why the Christian salvation is better. So I'm going to show you the two alternative options to Christian salvation that we hear of the most right now and, and why Christian salvation is better. Two alternatives. So the first one I, I could call new world salvation, new world salvation, and it, it is epitomized by none other than Aladdin himself. You probably remember this from all of the movies that you have seen. Aladdin stands up there and he sings to Jasmine, what does he sing? A whole new world. I feel like I need a mic. A new, what is this? I can show you the world. Shining, shimmering, splendid. Tell me, princess, now when did you last let your heart decide? I can open your eyes. All right, I'll call it quits there. Right, but he gets into the point where he says, A whole new world, a dazzling place I never knew. But when I'm way up here, it's crystal clear that now I'm in a whole new world with you. So, thank you. We can do karaoke later if you'd like. Uh, what's his idea? Aladdin believes that he can usher Jasmine into a new world. Notice that the assumption in his line of thinking, right? He says, I'm not just going to take you out of the life you had at the palace. I'm going to take you out of the world of the palace and put you into a new world. That's a, that's a big shift, right? A lot of people can make changes in their habits, changes in their lifestyles, things like that. But he says, I can usher you into a new world. And, and maybe you don't know it, but what Aladdin is singing and what the authors you know, right, put into his mouth is, is simply a reflection of an ideology, a thought that has floated around for, for a very long time. It, it probably goes back to Sir Thomas More and the writing uh, called Utopia, I don't know if you've ever read even parts of Utopia. Sir Thomas More, in it, he writes about this perfect world, and he says we can go to a new world. He dreams of something maybe like an island where there is an absolute perfect world, and he, he paints out philosophically and practically what this new world could look like. 
Now, that idea, that belief in a new world became thoroughly inculcated, thoroughly part of people's lives. It was part of what drove the thinking, or it was maybe reflected of the belief that we needed to find the new world, you know, America, where you and I live right now. Sir Thomas More wrote Utopia in the 1500s, and it has been part of our way of thinking, our way of life ever since. Uh, Today, you know, usually you and I hear it in the phrase something like, I want to make the world a better place for you, or I'm going to make the world a better place. You think about what people are saying when they say that. They're not just saying, I'm going to improve this life. Now, I realize some people probably are saying that. But when a politician says, I'm going to make the world a better place, they're dreaming of, of a whole different kind of world, a whole different life for us. You know, FDR, he said, we have always held to the hope, the belief, the conviction that there is a better life, a better world beyond the horizon. Now, we need to realize this is not how ancients thought about salvation. This was a big shift that happened probably post-enlightenment in thinking. If you went to the ancient Egyptians, for example, salvation, getting saved, was about getting out of the effects of death. So they, for in ancient Egypt, for example, they embalmed people so they could be resurrected and they could stand then before Osiris to get judged on the personal integrity that they had. And if they were approved of or they were given a voice, it says they were called true of voice, they could get admitted to another realm. Now, that was certainly salvation to a new world, but it only happened because salvation fixed the effects of death, right? It undid the effects of death. Now, the belief of getting to a better world or a whole new world is about now, right? It is about giving us a new world now, recreating a whole new world. That's what FDR was talking about, and that's what many others, including Sir Thomas More, was referring to. You probably have recognized this, and you've heard this even maybe out of your own mouth. Why? Because it connects with Christianity, doesn't it, a lot? Right? Isn't the, the story of Christianity that God made a good world for us, a, a beautiful world for us, then we have fallen into sin, and now this world was redeemed in Jesus Christ, only so that God could restore it for himself, which he's going to one day do at the end? The idea of getting saved into a new world or new world salvation, that's part of Christianity for sure. Absolutely. Which is why every time you and I hear somebody say to us, I'm going to make this world a better place or I want to give you a new world to live in, we all think a little bit, yeah. I don't know if you can do it. The world's really hard to change, but I'd love to see it happen. Right? But it's not the whole of Christianity. And we should know that. New world salvation doesn't cover it all. The other salvation option that is thrown around very often today, but it just doesn't cover it either, we could call new person salvation. New person salvation. It's the the promise of fulfillment. It's 
shows up in the, the songs like uh, This Is Me from The Greatest Showman. I don't know if any of you got to see The Greatest Showman. Go home. You can look this one up on, on YouTube. Hit song from that movie. It says, When the sharpest word's gonna cut me down. It's a little harder of a tune to sing. I'm gonna send a flood, gonna drown them out. I am brave. I am bruised. I am who I'm meant to be. This is me. Look out, cause here I come, and I'm marching on to the beat I drum. I'm not scared to be seen, I make no apologies, this is me. What's the promise of new world salvation, new person salvation? It says, if you get saved, then you can finally show up and be the person that you're supposed to be. Right? It's the promise of personal fulfillment. And you and I, I, we hear this promise all the time, right? You need to become the person that you are supposed to be. Or if you do this, you can become the person that you're supposed to be. If you go to counseling, if you deal with your trauma, if you practice wellness, if you practice mental health, if you eat well, you can become the person you are supposed to be over and over. But this has been part of, of modern, the modern push for quite some time. Fifty years ago, the the Jewish philosopher Martin Buber, he said this. He said, this new religion could be detected in an increasing obsession with the self, with personal development, and the preference of spirituality over religion, and with therapy over communion with a transcendent God. It was the elevation of the self above God. It's a quote from, from Martin Buber taken by Mark Clark. Do you get what he's saying? He's saying, if you went back three, four hundred years Nobody thought of salvation as the idea of you and I becoming who we were supposed to be. The crazy part is, of course, it's, it's in the Bible, isn't it? God promises us that in the Holy Spirit, he is restoring us in his image. That's part of the promise of the gospel. He promises to make us into the people that we are supposed to be. But again, new person salvation is not the whole gospel. And the Apostle Peter said that on the day that he preached. He wrote to the people, he said to them, he said to them, rest, save yourselves from this uh, corrupt generation. Save yourselves from this corrupt generation. In the Bible, when the word generation is used, it always refers to more than just uh, one, like, one list of people, right? One name of people, father to son. It, that's more than, it's more than that. It's used in the same way that, that we think of the millennial generation or the boomer generation or the, the silent generation, right? It refers to a whole category, a whole kind of people. What was Peter saying when he said, save yourselves from this corrupt generation? He was saying, all of these people, they're not awful. It's not that everything is bad here. They have this story of the Jewish nation. They know what the world is supposed to look like, and they are the people of God. But like metal that has become rusty, or like a person that has been infected, they're corrupted. They're no longer exactly who they are supposed to be, and the world is no longer exactly what it's supposed to be. 
and so save yourself from it. And that's why Peter pictures Christian salvation as so much better, so much more. Peter said in his sermon, he said, God made this Jesus, whom you crucified, both Lord and Christ. And when the people were caught to the heart, he said, repent. Do you see the two parts of Christian salvation? The first part of it is that Jesus is Lord and Savior. The second part of it is repent and be baptized. What's God pointing out when he says that? First, he says, there's a new world for you and I to live in. When God says Jesus is Lord and Savior, he's saying he's ushered in a new age, a new time period for everybody. On the cross, God fundamentally changed the way that the world looks to him. In the death and the resurrection of Jesus, God fundamentally changed how he looks at the world, and he could say to all of humanity, you are forgiven. I no longer hold you responsible for all of the sin that I see committed here every day. And on top of that, he can say, I see you as good and right in my sight. That's what the Apostle Paul would say later in Romans when he would say, as in Adam all died, so in Christ all are made alive. God would look at Adam and see the fall into sin, but he would come back and he would look at Jesus and he would say, in Jesus I have restored all of humanity. Right? He has absolutely made a whole new world. But then Christian salvation also comes along and says, just because I've changed this new world doesn't mean that you get to automatically live in it. The, the illustration is, is often used of a check. God says that in the death and the resurrection of Jesus, he wrote out a, a check, and in the spot where it has somebody's name, he wrote humanity, people, human beings, and in the blank where he wrote the money, he says righteousness, goodness, approval however you want to put in that blank, right? It's infinite worth is in that blank. And the question for you and for me is, do we want to cash that check into our accounts? I can hand you a check, but if you don't put that check into your bank account, it doesn't do you any good. And that's why Christian salvation also says, repent and be baptized. Do you notice, though, what Peter is saying when he tells us repent and be baptized? He's not saying you have to fix yourself. He's also not saying to us, you need to move and go to a new world. He's saying you can be saved right where you are. As soon as you cash that check, as soon as you put that money in the bank, you are absolutely saved. You are a new, live in a new world, and you, have, you are a new person. Isn't that great? This is the Christian idea of salvation. That Christian salvation means we are both a new person into a new world. And it is so much better in that way than any other salvation you would get offered today. Friends, if you aren't baptized, I would strongly encourage you, get baptized. Receive that gift of salvation. Take that check that God has written in the death and the resurrection of Jesus and cash it into your account. If you haven't cashed it yet into your account, do so. If it's time to repent because you have wandered away from that baptism, you have set it aside for a time, then repent. 
Take that Christian salvation again and make it part of your life. Because the Christian salvation is so much better than either of the alternatives. I would like a new world to live in as much as anybody else, but at the same time, I'm pretty happy with the world just as, as it is. I don't want to trade away my family. I don't want to trade my, away my house. I don't want to trade my job. I don't want to trade my friends. I'm not going to trade away you all. I love this church. Why would I get rid of this? I don't want a new world. And, and I, I'm not sure if I really can become a different person. It's much harder to become a different person than I had ever thought I would want to be. But to have the promise from God that in Christian salvation, I can be a new person in a new world is so much better than I ever thought. It's, it's so much better than she gets told that she's a citizen of a new country and she doesn't have to go anywhere. It's just right where she is. It's like the moment that immigration officer finally said to me, yeah, here you go. She's your daughter. You get your passport back for her and she'll always be yours. In that moment, I knew that I had a place to call home and people who were mine. And friends, you and I have the same thing in the salvation that Jesus Christ gives to you. Take the check, cash it, repent, and be baptized. Confess that Jesus is Lord, and it's all yours. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we, we thank you that you have won salvation for us. You became Lord and Messiah over all things so that we would have a new world to live in. Make us your new people now. Let us live in your world. Choose the option of, of Christian salvation. It's far better than any of the salvation this world offers to us. It's the one thing where we can get everything we ever wanted without having to go anywhere. We pray for this in Jesus' name. Amen.